This year, we're celebrating 20 years of Glass Tire. That means 20 years of Texas art coverage, 20 years of publishing writing from across the state, and 20 years of showing the world all Texas has to offer. Since our publication is a nonprofit, all of our work is made possible thanks to readers and listeners like you. If you'd like to help support our coverage, you can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining donor by visiting glasstar.com forward slash donate. Also, if you enjoy our podcast, please consider subscribing and leaving us a rating or a review. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Art Dirt. This is a podcast where we at Glass Tire talk about topical art topics. I'm Brandon Zeck. I'm William Saradat. And today we're going to be talking about NFTs, where are they now? So back on March 14th, Christina Reese, Glass Tire's editor-in-chief, and I did a podcast about NFTs. Um, This was spurred by a big, I think it was $69 million sale of uh, an artwork by the NFT artist Beeple at Christie's. And we kind of went over, you know, the basics of what NFTs are, uh, how they've kind of risen to popularity, um, and just some background about them. If you have not listened to that podcast, or on the other hand, if you don't know what NFTs are, we would really recommend you go back and listen to that. I think it's a pretty good primer to kind of get into this new realm of art making. Uh, the quick definition is NFTs, it stands for non-fungible tokens, and what they are are digital, unique objects. So it's video clips, it's uh, JPEGs, it's these things that exist on a blockchain network and um, are unique unto themselves. And there's a, there are many marketplaces. Uh, they're exchanged, bought and sold using Ethereum, which is a cryptocurrency similar in a way uh, to Bitcoin. Yeah, so there's your little background. If you want more of a background um, or want more details around it, go listen to that previous podcast and then come back to this one. Um, on this podcast, we're not going to be talking about the environmental implications of Ethereum or the energy consumption associated uh, with NFTs. Um, those are all concerns to consider when talking about NFTs, but basically we're going to be talking about what has happened kind of in the major NFT online space marketplace since we recorded that original podcast. And there's been quite a lot. Um, I know, William, one of the reasons you and I are talking is because you've been following some of this news also, um, and we wanted to hear what you've kind of been paying attention to. Yeah, I think that one of the big takeaways for this conversation as compared to earlier in March when we covered this, like you said, Brandon, is um, we just want to talk about what is the market doing? That's really kind of um, what I like to think about and tinker with. And there's a lot of developments. Um, Today we'll talk about a handful of things, but uh, collectability, branding, um, a little bit of artist strategy as well. 
uh, of which, like I said, there's plenty to talk about. Yeah, and it includes uh, our talk today includes um, NFTs that have been made by some really big name artists like Damien Hurst and Tom Sachs. So more on that a little later in the conversation. Um, but William, I wanted to jump in and talk about something that I've noticed a lot recently on Twitter actually um this is kind of the it's the rise of nfts as online identities um i probably started to really notice this maybe a month or two ago uh, on twitter people's little circular avatars it were being replaced by little i don't know head or shoulders up portraits of mostly animals um, it seems like these avatar thing has kind of come out of the CryptoPunks NFT idea. Uh, the CryptoPunks were a series of NFTs created in 2017, I believe, and they've since kind of become the original, like the OG uh, set of NFT avatars for people, and they've they're kind of a status symbol in online communities now. But the images I was seeing on social media were not CryptoPunks; they were like apes that had a lot of different features, like apes, like monkeys that had a lot of different features and hats and facial expressions, and also cats. And I learned that the apes are called Bored Apes from the Bored Apes Yacht Club, and the cats are called Cool Cats. And the kind of general concept behind these things is um, the people who created the NFTs got a bunch of, uh, or created a bunch of visual features, you know, like an ape could be wearing a hat, or it could be smiling, or it could be frowning, or it could be, you know, yawning, or any of those things. And then they feed those into like a random uh, random image generator for a simple explanation. And it spits out, that random generator spits out 10,000 images that are unique, but that are a combination of these individual traits, right? Like, so one of the apes is wearing a hat on a blue background and smiling and wearing glasses. And another one is frowning on a blue background and wearing, I don't know, has a feather in its hat, you know, stuff like that. But it basically, and, and some of the qualities of the pictures are rarer than some others. And basically it's, the easy way to think about it is like collectible trading cards, Right, like think about it like a pack of baseball cards or a pack of Pokemon cards. Some of the cards are holographic. Some of them are more common. Um, and when you buy these apes uh, from the initial marketplace, you're buying them at random, so you can't kind of buy them by the image. Of course, they're then later resold, and the ones that are rarer are more expensive. The ones that are less rare are less expensive. Um, it seems like these avatar things are kind of meant to be a more accessible uh, way of buying into NFTs. And it, the goal is really creating a community. But at the same time, uh, even though the apes originally sold for $200, I think the least expensive ones are now around $70,000. So there's there are some serious questions around availability and marketplace and, you know, kind of what these ultimately symbolize online william what's been your take on these things as you as you've seen them come up and kind of start to populate the online space more yeah i think as with the case um with board ape yacht club which seems to be one of the more current contemporary 
iterations of this digital trading card phenomenon, it is an apt comparison that you make because the ways that I understand trading card systems or games to be designed and generated, um, these NFT avatar systems that we're seeing pop up, both before NFTs were really a thing, um, CryptoKitties, which people may actually know about it, kind of got some attention. Um, that was initially dropped in 2017, developed by Dapper Labs. Um, so this exact format of kind of, as you're saying, you develop a handful of facial or bodily features, and then which are actually um, the Board Ape Yacht Club supposedly hired professional illustrators to set the bedrock for the way they look. And then those features were fed into an algorithmic generator. Poof. Now you have 10,000 um, supposedly unique uh, board apes. They do kind of resemble trading cards. Um, anyone who's picked up a pack of, <laughs> let's say, Yu-Gi-Oh cards um, 10 years ago and then Fast forward to now, you'll notice the style is the same, but with time, the the designs, the cards, they they reach a status quo that is maintained. But anyway, that's that's a long way of saying that NFT collectibles are obviously not a new concept. They're being developed with this interesting nascent crypto market in mind. You're saying it brings up a lot of questions. People are are still wondering and still asking, so how authentic, how um, meaningful are these these non-fungible JPEGs? Are how cynical are they? And I think with the case of the Board Ape Yacht Club, they the developers, the people that have designed it, they've mitigated that suspicion a little bit, a number of ways. Um, Firstly, there's like a lot of this trading activity or even just community activity, if you want to call it. It happens on dedicated Discord servers where people can kind of um, not just strategize about how they're going to flip uh, their money, but they can talk about sports. They can talk about, you know, um, the newest celebrity that bought one of these things. And then also... More interestingly, the developers of of this NFT uh, set have made it possible that the people that purchase um, the individual board apes, you retain ownership of like licensing rights. Yeah. So you can put it on your beer label. You can make stickers. You can make T-shirts. You can start a podcast and your board ape and the board ape of a friend that also purchased one, those can be the logo of the podcast. Um, as I'm saying it, that almost sounds like a cynical way of turning art into marketing. But the developers seem to think that if you give more ownership to the collector, then they will run with it. And it won't actually just be a flash in the pan Twitter avatar uh, phenomenon. Well, that's William. That's very much what I've read. Like their whole thing, the the 
kind of group or a few people that created the board eight yacht club. Um, what they talk about doing is they're not trying to just create a, a set of 10,000 images and then kind of walk away with the profits. They're creating this community. Essentially, they don't talk about it in some ways as explicitly financially as I think they may be thinking about it, which is to say they, they talk about creating a community. They talk about, you know, bringing people together by giving people, you know, autonomy over their images. Um, but also, I mean, they're creating like this group of people that is invested in their brand that they can then continue to create NFTs and things that are almost like booster packs or like downloadable content for their brand. So, for example, they just released um, like a different quote unquote serums that you can inject into your ape and it basically increases the value of the NFT. It like turns the ape into uh, something like a zombie looking ape. You know, it zombifies the image. Um, And they also, these communities have ways of like perpetuating. uh, If you're a member of the community, you can get new NFTs that are in it, that are community exclusive. So like it's buying into a brand and buying into a group that it's, it's your, it's your, uh, yacht club membership card right you get access to the country club which is like a special message board and server um you get access to exclusive uh nft opportunities like it's it's all of these exclusivity things and things that are really based around the concept of the market and money and perpetuating this brand um but many of the people when they talk about it including the founders in many ways are just talking about you know the fact that they're creating this for people and for a community um i don't know there's there's a kind of uh, there's a little bit of a discord because the founders in one of the articles or interviews i was reading they were like well we're not in it for the money you know like i i'm less inclined to use it as my profile picture if they start to get really expensive and it's only about the money We've kind of gotten to that point. It is only about the money. They were initially $200. They're now $70,000 minimum. It's blatantly about the money. I would like to believe that person. <laughs> um, uh, I will stop short of saying it's only about the money, but they are objectively expensive. Um and I'm not, like you said, I'm not talking like $400 expensive. I'm talking like five figures expensive. Um, they're at that point. I... I aside a small tangent, I got into crypto in 2017 and got out because it made me too nervous. Um, I got back in this year for the money, and it's because the market has exploded. Um, it's undeniable the type of behavior, the type of people, and just the type of market actions that happen when any type of asset gains 10 times its value it's you can't ignore it so um sure it's i think we should balk a little bit at the statement that you know nobody here is doing this for the cash flow um that seems a little silly given that really expensive trading cards have been around for a very long time at least relative to the age of nfts i i just watched a video about a Yu-Gi-Oh card that's $110,000 um and my interest is 
purely nostalgic. I have no, I'm not going to go out and, and eBay trade these things. Anyways, all to say it's, it is interesting to see that the interest has maintained, I'm sure the money pads out some people's emotional feelings about these things. Um, there's an article I may name drop a couple more times in this conversation because I found it immensely helpful for myself. Uh, Tina Rivers Ryan wrote a uh, fairly succinct explanation of what um, these digital artifacts, these NFTs, are doing, how they're riding the line between being financial instruments that are purely cynical and how they are um, acting as branding material that people get excited about. And one of her takeaways that I thought was, I I can't unsee it now that I've read it, is that um, the buyer behavior, not just for bored apes, but kind of for all of this stuff, it it really reflects um, the intersection of speculation and fandom and not necessarily like a holistic interest or knowledge base of the history of digital art. Um, if you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance you know about digital art. You may have a few of your own favorites. Um, I mean, pick a random one of those and compare it to a collectible Twitter avatar and, you know, make a decision for yourself. Like, what do these things have in common? I don't know, pixels, I guess? (laughs) A little bit of design acumen? I I guess in a way, it's almost kind of like comparing any painting to any painting, Right? It's like, compare your child's finger painting with the Mona Lisa. They're both made of paint. Both the, both the internet artwork you're thinking about and the board ape, they're both live online in some capacity and they're made of pixels and code. But there's an inherent difference in what they are. Is that is that like a good analogy to what you're trying to say? I think so. I mean, that kind of piggybacks right onto a, a subsequent point that Rivers Ryan makes, which is that... Um, being that NFTs want to participate in this art sphere, in this art market, um, there's a tendency to overemphasize how conceptual they are when, in fact, often these things are really not conceptual at all. They're really just, um, I mean, and we, I can sort of back that up by saying the board ape yacht club is not the only set of thousands of nearly identical images which are meant to serve as avatars there's oh by far yeah there's tons and tons and tons of them so if you know if somebody if somebody walked into a gallery and they had silkscreen portraits of celebrities to, to to schlock to a gallerist and they're just trying to get attention of, from a gallerist to sell their work and they said you know i'm just i'm really just in this for the love of um conceptual art the gallerist would think yeah and you read and you like read a couple andy warhol biographies like <laughs> come on like give me a break this is not my first rodeo <laughs> you know i think this is a really good segue into the conversation about tom Sachs and damien hurst's nft projects And we'll be back with that conversation after a quick word from our sponsor this week.
Today's podcast is sponsored in part by Texas Talks Art, a series of virtual 30-minute lunchtime conversations. The talks feature curators from Texas's leading cultural institutions and the most exciting artists from across the Lone Star State. Tune in every Tuesday at noon central time for these virtual talks, which are happening throughout 2021. Register for upcoming talks and watch past talks at texastalksart.org. And we're back. So, William, piggybacking on your uh, idea about the market and kind of these works, um, like how, how they're playing versus maybe art with a capital A versus design or versus Twitter avatars or things like that. There are two projects that I've kind of been paying attention to um, that are NFT projects. One is Tom Sachs, uh, the New York-based artist. I'm sure many of you may know him. He had a show recently at the da- at the Nasher Sculpture Center. Uh, he also had a show maybe six or seven years ago at the Contemporary Austin. Um, he's kind of famous for his ramshackle but well-made uh, objects. So he started the Tom Sachs Rocket Factory, which basically one of Tom Sachs's kind of... Uh, areas of focus is he does fake space explorations. So a rocket factory makes sense for his practice. Um, You could buy rocket components like bottle rocket components, and he would make a rocket in real life and launch it and ship you the rocket. So you would buy a nose cone, you would buy a body, you would buy a tail. um, And all of them are branded in, you know, different ways of different rarities. Um, But, Again, one of the things that I found interesting about this is it it's kind of backed by a physical object and that you buy the NFT of the rocket, but he also physically builds the rocket in the real world and then does a rocket launch and then sends you the rocket in a case. Like, it's a sculpture and an NFT all combined in, in one. Um, and another project that we've kind of been following is Damien Hurst's NFT project where he... Uh, it's a project called The Currency, and again, it's 10,000 unique hand-painted uh, dot-covered works on paper, and each one is paired with an NFT. But the idea is that in a year, you're going to have to decide if you want to keep the NFT or if you want to keep the original hand-painted work on paper. And whichever one you do not choose gets destroyed. The real work would get burned, uh, the NFT I, I assume would get destroyed in some capacity, or at least you'd have to give it up, give up ownership of it. What I found really interesting about these artists creating NFT projects, these artists who are, you know, nationally and internationally known is that it's still, they're backing up their NFTs with one of their like quote unquote original handmade objects, um, which is something that you can't say about like Beeple or Bored Apes or any of this stuff. It's like, I feel like the whole idea around NFTs is the idea that material isn't necessarily important or crucial, but these big name artists who are doing NFT projects are keeping the physical object associated with it. I don't know. It's, there's just kind of a, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't jive with the whole concept of NFTs. William, what have you thought about these as you've seen them come forwards? Well, Brandon, this kind of reminds me of, um, 
a book I read by Lawrence Weschler, which chronicles <laughs> the the book overview says that it chronicles the antics of JSG Boggs, an artist who would um, draw extremely realistic renditions, uh, counterfeits of paper money, and then would sort of transact that item in exchange for for goods and services. And then um, through kind of snowballing that successfully over and over again, those drawings became very sought after and very valuable. And it kind of convoluted uh, the question like, is he counterfeiting money when the object becomes objectively desired? Um, and I guess I'm bringing that up because my art uh, education, my history with art, just keeps pointing me to, uh, I don't know, examples before the year 2020 of how to successfully execute a conceptual, a conceptual act that intimates value, which is objectively an abstract concept. Um, I guess I don't have a problem. I don't hate the idea of sell, making a sale and then kind of tacking a sort of do by date to that and being like, okay, buyer, you're going to have to make a choice. <laughs> it's almost like a, it's almost like the art version of a saw movie kind of, um, which one are you going to be comfortable burning and you're going to have to watch it burn. Uh, it's, it's kind of interesting. I just don't know if it sparks, I don't know if it sparks joy. Can I say that? <laughs> uh huh. Well, I mean, the Damien Hirst project, you know, with the NFT or the physical object, I mean, there's, I, I don't know, there's there's a whole other realm of it that might be boring to talk about unless you're into weird art market politics, but like, eventually this quote-unquote NFT art would just be sold as an object at Christie's, and the whole point of NFT art is not being able to have something to frame or, you know, where where does stuff live? And right now, the paintings that these NFTs are paired to live in a vault in London, apparently. Like, maybe that's part of this, William. There's, like, a whole community around, uh, around these NFTs, even if there isn't kind of inherently meant to be. Like, the Board Ape Yacht Club that we were talking about earlier, there's supposed to be a community. They made it so that there is a community, so that... You know, you could set the ape as your profile picture and talk to other apes. And it's kind of like it's a it's like a it's a country club that you're a part of. It's yeah. a yacht club with the Damien Hurst stuff. It's like people have been buying them and reselling them. And, you know, maybe there is like a discord server, but there's not a Damien Hurst branded lounge on Damien Hurst website available to NFT members only, at least to my knowledge. Granted, I don't own one of these, so God knows but anyway, it has still created this community of people who are like buying and selling these things based on, you know, the density of the dots or the frequency of uh, the word appearances in the titles of these things. There's still this like rarity scarcity conversation because why not, I guess? Um, so it's still like created a community, even though it didn't mean to create a community. And same thing with the Rocket Factory. Tom Sachs is hosting in real life rocket launches um, in association with 
with the rocket factory. So like he's maybe a less online community, but he's creating or trying to create a real group of people who are interested in these things who can come and watch a rocket launch into the, well, not the atmosphere, but into the sky. You know what I mean? This may be circling back a little too far in the conversation, but I, I want to ask that question you asked earlier about um, Damien Hurst's project of selling works that will be destroyed. Um, I honestly want to ask, because the, the inventory question is legitimate. Um, it, it's a part of these works. I just realized what I want to do is ask the registrar, like, how are you gonna, how are you gonna handle this painting that he made and then may or may not get destroyed? Like, how are you even going to document that on your books? Um, because the it the gimmick, I'll I'll call it that. You can disagree if you like. Just brings into high relief that like it seems again similar to the to the ape yacht club. It's like this is kind of meant to be conceptual, but there's real tangible logistics that somebody is going to have to deal with. And um, how how much is the gallery willing to? to run with this to accommodate that the sort of gimmicky nature the 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 brandedness of it all i suppose yeah well i mean ten thousand paintings you know we're assuming that they exist ten thousand paintings have to be stored somewhere i mean exactly and even if their works on paper that's that's a lot of paintings to have made and then to have documented and then to have turned into digital files like it's a huge project it's much it's much more it's much more difficult than you know well in in some ways at least it's much more difficult than running a bunch of different features through an image generator and having it spit out ten thousand images yeah and then having people you know hawk for them so they can put them on their twitter that's a fairly frictionless series of actions um i mean compared compared to ten thousand physical objects i'll say um no i agree yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think that uh, when I was looking over the the March discussion that you and Christina had, I was thinking that um, y'all discussed exclusivity, liquidity, resale, the fact that the transformative experience of art is different when it's on a screen secondhand uh, rather than... Um, when the object was created and meant to be seen in a room in a gallery. Yeah. I, I think that we are in a different place with the uh, NFT market, with the crypto market in general, since January one of this year. However, um, all of those, that list of concerns I just mentioned, they all seem to be true. There seems to be more um, buy-in, more acceptance of the nature of like digital artifacts requiring some kind of like branded element as well as like, I mean, I I hate to just rattle buzzwords, but liquidity, the perception of what is and what needs to be liquid about these, these objects has become more sophisticated and, and self-aware. I think, I think that partially just comes with, um, these things becoming more and more a part of the mainstream. I mean, 
the uh, bored apes and the cool cats have gotten more popular simply because celebrities have started to buy into them and have started to set them as their Twitter handles or their Twitter images. Um, like Mike Tyson currently has a cool cat for his Twitter profile picture. Numerous basketball players have started investing in bored apes and now use them as their avatars. Um, Reese Witherspoon recently tweeted that she purchased Ethereum and is looking to buy NFTs. Um, Budweiser, the beer brand, bought uh, the Tom Sachs rocket, which was Budweiser branded. Uh, Visa added an NFT to its art collection. I believe it was um, a CryptoPunk, although I could be wrong. Don't quote me. Um, but it's the infiltration almost of brands into a community that has, I mean, for all intents and purposes, remained brand free. Like it's the crypto market has been kind of driven by individuals or groups of people whether you want to call them venture capitalists whether you want to call them artists whatever kind of creating these things more or less themselves and now is the time when the celebrities come in when the companies come in um there was a there was a quote that i just kind of loved by uh the person who's the global head of technology and innovation at budweiser's like parent company um and she said, there's an opportunity to be where your customers are and surprise and delight them and give them experiences that are unmatched. And she's talking about coming into, you know, like the metaverse of the Internet and surprising your your potential customers with, I don't know, experiences. And it's like that's what she's talking about is advertising. She's talking about advertising coming into NFTs and coming into this portion of the Internet, which has remained relatively company free and advertisers beginning to capitalize on it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think you totally got it. I I don't know exactly why I have this <laughs> this feeling, but there's there's something about um when a salient technology or even just a technology that already exists um enables like a new arm or a new branch of a market, um people love to talk like that. And it's it's a little bit like, I mean, computers don't make everything magical. They just sort of like enable, um, they I don't know, they just sort of enable more market activity, which I don't even necessarily dislike. But I think I read a, a quote from Hito Styrol, uh in, in preparation for this topic. Um, apparently she gave a discussion on, she gave a, a talk on the blockchain in like 2017. Um, and cautiously said, you know, people were very excited about the internet, but that didn't lead to the Paris Commune. It led to Uber and Amazon. So, yeah. and I'm paraphrasing a little, but the, the implication is that like, well, you know, when we're all super pumped about decentralization and utopian ideals, uh, thinking about the blockchain, just remember that, you know, the most theoretical uh, positive outcome is not the the inevitable outcome and we should we should be poking at these things at least a little bit i'm surprised we haven't seen any sort of nft platform or company come about that has amazon or amazon's companies as a parent company like i'm surprised amazon hasn't opened some sort of nft marketplace can you imagine if amazon added nfts to its like general website and then you could just buy things 
with one click on buy NFTs with one click on Amazon. I mean, that in theory is part of this future if if NFTs become the sort of mainstream thing that they could. Absolutely. I mean, Amazon handles as a company, they handle a ton of web traffic. They have, you know, they must have legions of workers that manage their web platform services. Yeah, AWS, yeah. Another company that comes to mind and I may be just talking um ignorantly but you know something like alibaba uh i mean sure i agree it could be a matter of time before that's what these non-fungible tokens become they just they get co-opted into the internet framework that we're used to as consumers it's possible yeah they just become normal goods right william is there anything you want to add before we wrap up I just want to say it's I I like sparring and talking about this stuff. Um, I'm I'm really not. Uh, I may not be as cynical as I sound. If you are an artist interested in digital art, the good news is that there's a rich history and it gets it just keeps getting richer. So poke around and and look at who's doing what in this space. There's plenty to pull from. Um, but you know. Continue to think critically about it. Uh, Cynicism aside, I think you and I are both fans of whatever can generate artists and creative people money because there are so few things that can generate artists and creative people actual sustaining career money. So if there are people like that who have been able to capitalize on NFTs, I mean, I think we're both and everyone at Glass Tire is all for that. Yeah, sure. I be creative, take control, do what you can. I agree. And with that, we're going to wrap up. Thank you for listening. Uh, again, if you can't get enough of NFTs and want to know more, go back and listen to our podcast for mid-March of 2021. And that's it for this week. Uh, in the meantime, go see some art. Go see some art. Thanks to this week's podcast sponsor, Texas Talks Art, which is a series of virtual 30-minute lunchtime conversations. The talks feature curators from Texas's leading cultural institutions and the most exciting artists from across Texas. Tune in every Tuesday at noon central time for these virtual talks, which are happening throughout 2021. I've attended a number of these talks since they started happening earlier this year, and I have really enjoyed them. You can register for upcoming talks and watch past talks at texastalksart.org. This podcast was recorded by Glass Tire and edited by William Saradet. Copyright Glass Tire 2021.